this is like babies crying is their communication. Toddlers and even a little bit older children tantruming is their way of communicating that they're dysregulated and they need a little bit of help with that. Do you wish you knew exactly what to do before, during, and after your child's tantrums? Not just to get them to stop, but to stop in a way that actually benefits their development, their mental health, and their relationship to you? That is exactly why I made The Science of Tantrums, a highly targeted framework created by me, a clinical psychologist and mom of two toddlers, to help you understand what exactly is happening in your child's brain and their body when they have a tantrum. And I'll teach you the most effective tools to reduce the frequency, duration, and intensity of dysregulation over time. And because it's a framework, not a one-size-fits-all script, it allows you to meet your own child exactly where they are at any given moment, no matter how big their dysregulation gets. Over my 12 years of clinical experience, I have honed strategies that I have seen work with everyone from developmentally typical children to those with some of the most severe cases of behavioral and emotional disorders. I know this works because I've seen it work time and time again. To learn more and to sign up for the science of tantrums, go to drsarahbren.com forward slash tantrums. That's drsarahbren.com forward slash tantrums. Temper tantrums, meltdowns, pitching a fit, whatever you want to call it, when our kids get to that point of hysteria, it can leave parents feeling overwhelmed and underprepared. Dr. Emily Upshur, my partner from our joint group practice, Upshur Bren Psychology Group, is back today to address a question that we both get asked a lot. What is the difference between a tantrum and a meltdown? We'll share our thoughts on what sets these two things apart and offer you strategies for supporting your child through all levels of their dysregulation. Hi, I'm Dr. Sarah Bren, a clinical psychologist and mom of two. In this podcast, I've taken all of my clinical experience, current research on brain science and child psychology, and the insights I've gained on my own parenting journey, and distilled everything down into easy-to-understand and actionable parenting insights so you can tune out the noise and tune into your own authentic parenting voice with confidence and calm. This is Securely Attached. Hello. Welcome back, Emily Upshur. I am so glad to have you here today to answer some of our listener questions. And this is one that I just get in my DMs constantly and in comments, which is, what is the difference between a tantrum and a meltdown? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I get this a lot too. We, and I think we sort of, as parents, debate back and forth about this as well. So I'm, I'm so excited to be here and talk about these differences or, you know, how we approach these things. Yes. Um, so it's really interesting too, when we're talking about tantrums and meltdowns, because just like we were talking a little bit before we hit record, but this idea that there's a lot of difference in the field on what is the, actually a d- the difference and people have, there's a lot of nuance to it and a lot of different opinions about it. So I think our goal today is going to be really just to lay out what a lot of sort of the mainstream understanding of tantrums and meltdowns are and maybe where we might actually even differ from that mainstream understanding a little bit and what parents can 
actually do to help both of these kinds of situations? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, we can start with tantrums cause I think that that's sort of right out there with, you know, a, a certain regularity, like everybody knows a child who's had a tantrum. Um, and I think, you know, some of the more, you know, colloquial understanding of tantrums is that they're, some people think they're a little bit more like milder outbursts where the child might have some control and some even think like, Oh, it'll just sort of come and go and it'll go on its own. And I I actually think of tantrums a little bit differently than that. I think of tantrums a little bit more, I think they're developmentally very appropriate. So I think it's really important to come out of the gate saying that kids are supposed to have tantrums. Tantrums are part of growing and, you know, learning about your environment, testing your environment, testing the limits, and also about self-regulation, like how, how self-regulated you are in that moment. And of course that changes over time, but we expect younger children to have tantrums because they don't have the tools for self-regulation. And they're trying to test those limits about how much control they do have themselves, right? Like how much control do I have over sort of self-regulating right now in this moment? Um, Yeah. And even how much control do I have over my environment right now in this mm -hmm. moment? Like how much control do I have to get this thing I want? How much control do I have to make this thing I don't want go away? Yeah. Yeah. And I think we, I think it's also important. We didn't we haven't talked about this, but I think it's, it's also important. Kids have like an epic loss of control and that's supposed to be what it is, but they have very little control over their lives, you know? So as an adult, if you're feeling a little off, you may just retreat and like, cope, right. Or do something for yourself. And kids really don't have those options. And so you do see a lot more of these tantrums or, you know, meltdowns as we'll get into in a bit, um, because they're really trying to figure out how to self-regulate within this very structured or contained or limited environment that you have as a child. Yeah. And I think this is a very interesting way that you're, you're saying, Because in my mind, I'm like, they're trying to get the thing that they want in that moment. That's their driving force. And you're saying they're really trying to self-regulate in this moment. It makes me realize for a child, self-regulation actually can be explode. Explode to release this feeling that I can't get out of my body because I can't I can't manipulate my environment to get the thing that I need that would turn this feeling off. Like I'm thinking of an example where like, you know... I poured the orange juice in the pink cup and the purple cup and my daughter took the pink one and my son got the purple, but he wanted that pink one. And now he's not getting what he wanted because I'm not going to take the cup away from my daughter and give it to him. He wants that cup. He can't have that cup. The feeling is of frustration and anger is welling up inside of his little body and it's too much. And he doesn't have that, like, you know, like you were saying, those grown up skills to say, maybe I can ask for the pink cup for my dinner tonight. Maybe I can do something else. Maybe I can think about something that makes me happy, like whatever it is. Maybe I can go away and take a couple breaths in the living room and come back to the kitchen, whatever it is. He can't do that. So, what does he do with that big ball of anger? The actually the best way for him to self-regulate in that moment is to push it out of his body, to release it. And that's the tantrum. Yeah. And I mean, I think that that's exactly right. And, and some of the things you're talking about, some of the things you just mentioned are really what we call executive functioning. Let's talk a little bit about brain science, right? These are executive functioning skills. 
And those skills are distress tolerance, like, right? Like, how do you live with something you don't really want to, but you're going to have to sort of hold on to? Um, Impulse control, right? Like, how do you not react with your first gut reaction? I'm sure a lot of us would love to do that. I think I always joke that, you know, childhood tantrums over exact examples like you're mentioning, Sarah, are, wouldn't it be, wouldn't it feel good as an adult every now and again to just like really let it rip because you didn't get what you wanted, you know, we don't do that because our brains are further developed. And so I think it's really important when we see our children in these states to think of it a little bit like with a little bit more empathy in that way, like Mm -hmm. there really are, there is an immense lack of control of their ability to do, to self-regulate. And this is their attempt of getting it out of them. Maybe that's onto you. You know, that's our role as parents Mm -hmm. to be that container. And then we can help them co-regulate after that, but that, that they're really trying the best that they can. This is like babies crying is their communication toddlers and even a little bit older children, tantruming is their way of communicating that they're dysregulated and they need a little bit of help with that. Yes. Yes. And then, so, but then the meltdown, how was that different than a tantrum? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I, I, you know, I really think of a meltdown as a true lack of control, like a loss of your, your states, right? Like a loss of your ability to self-regulate in a, in a more profound way than a tantrum. Mm -hmm. And I often say meltdowns are, are more impacted by physiological stressors. So if your child is hungry or tired or doesn't feel very well, that those cannot not that's not to say that that can't contribute to tantrums, but it seems it appears more often in meltdowns in my and how I view this. And it can be very common to sort of like put these things on the same um, continuum. But as we talked before, I think meltdowns are are almost past the point of intervention at that moment. You're worth a tantrum. There's a little bit of a window in to co-regulate mm-hmm. as a parent. And, and that's not to say you don't try to, co- to co-regulate during a meltdown, but it is important that it's harder. You Sometimes you just have to survive a meltdown. That's how I think of it. You just kind of have to weather that wave, that storm is going to come. And just like anxiety, you know, it's going to plateau and then it'll eventually go down. And then, then you can get back to a place of intervention, a bit more of an intervention. Um, but I do think of, a, of meltdowns as even, you know, we can talk about volitional and how volitional any of these, these, these things are, but I think of it as a complete loss of control, these meltdowns. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, for me, seeing that meltdown in that way and seeing it as kind of like, it's like a tantrum, but further past the point of no return gives me as a parent, a little permission to say to myself, like, all I need to do right now is just be a calm presence. I don't have to do anything. Whereas like with a tantrum, I might have a more direct intervention. Like I might be trying to offer some, some, you know, threads that they might be able to pull themselves through on. Like, can we problem solve Mm -hmm. this? Can I validate your feel? There's more talking in a tantrum for me when my kids are having a tantrum. I'm connecting Mm -hmm. more verbally with the child. My child's melting down. I really stop verbal communication. I really use my non-verbal body language more. So I'm still co-regulating. I'm still intervening. 
but I'm using my body language, my facial expressions. I'm giving them more space, Mm -hmm. but I'm not leaving them alone. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And that's, that's sort of the difference for me when, when I'm, sometimes a tantrum can kind of evolve into a meltdown too. So that's where I think that continuum piece is, is very appropriate to think of it that way. But I do think we're sort of, it's like a continuum, but there's like a parallel, like it, it, it needs to go to a different place. We need to have a different strategy for it. Yeah. I mean, and I think of it, I always joke with parents and and I think like as a grown up, if you were really dysregulated, how often does it really help if someone says like, calm down, you know, or how often does it help if someone says, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Like those things don't really help. Right. And so I think through, you know, like those are ways that we need to think or that it's manipulative on our part that we're, that we're being upset or dysregulated. Right. I think it's really important for us to think through how we can both understand where these are coming from and then how to respond to them. Yes. And I think like to your point, how do we find the empathy and a lot of how we've find empathy is to pay attention to our interpretation of the behavior, right? If we're seeing our child, whether it's a tantrum or a meltdown, if we're look, especially a tantrum, if we're looking at our child's tantrum and saying, you are manipulating me, you're trying to get me to give you what you want. If I continue to give you what you want, this is going to teach you this is okay. All of a sudden we're moving away from empathy there. Like that's not, those thoughts aren't really congruent with empathy. Yeah, I don't and, tend to feel empathy towards someone who's manipulating me. And we're also moving away from our overall parent goal of teaching, right? You know, like one of our goals is to teach how to have a better reaction in that moment for both of us. And I think where that manipulation thing comes in is it's a lot of societal judgment, honestly, right? If you're in the grocery store and your kid's having a quote tantrum, you know, because they want sugary cereal, you know, or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, you're all of a sudden under a microscope and you're let, and it's very difficult to hold the line in a way that might feel most aligned with your parenting style. You just want it to stop, you know, and that's where we get into these cycles of, we just want it to stop. So maybe we aren't getting down to the child's level and saying, you really want that cereal, but we're not going to get those cereals because we don't have those cereals in our house. And it's okay to be upset about that, but we're still not going to get it. But you're in the grocery store, you're not kneeling down on the ground, you know, necessarily, you know, you're rushing, it's the end of the day. And this is where I was talking about some of the physiological, sometimes you have to go to the grocery store when your child is tired and or hungry or, you know, and, and you're gonna, you sort of have to be prepared that you might have more tantrums or meltdowns in those situations. And, um, how, how we can sort of go in with that frame of mind saying, okay, I know it's, this is tough. Oh, I might've pushed you too far or you, I know you're tired. We're going to go really fast and try to get through this. Um, mm-hmm. those are sort of different ways that I think we have to navigate the inevitable, but also sort of keep in mind what we, our goal is, is teaching, teaching them how to say, oh, you know what? I am just really tired. Eventually one day they'll hopefully get that insight. Um, and not that they're, you know, just being manipulative in that moment. Right. And I think too, and we, if we think about it as manipulation, which is not uncommon. And I think very, very often I hear parents saying, but you know, they're just trying to get what they want. And let's break that down a bit. Cause yes, yes, you are correct. They are just trying to get what they want. But the concept of manipulation requires a pretty 
higher order level of thinking. It mm-hmm. requires a pretty abstract and sophisticated thought process that mm-hmm. I would argue most toddlers don't have. And certainly not, certainly not in a dysregulated moment. So yes, they are in that very moment. Let's say they've been thwarted or they're upset about an outcome or they want something and they aren't getting it. Um, and they become dysregulated. They're very in that, they're very singularly present and focused on the thing they don't want. They aren't actually sitting there thinking, if I scream about this long enough, mom is going to give it to me. So let's keep screaming so that I get what I want. That's so much more sophisticated than their thought process. They're just sort of flooded with, I want this and I don't have it. I want this and I don't have it. I want this and I don't have it. And here comes the tantrum. So can you talk a little bit about the distinction there? And Yeah. I mean, look, I, manipulation really would require that they would go into that thinking this is what they're going to get out of it, right? Like, I'm going to go into this grocery store and I'm going to get mommy to get me this sugar cereal. That is not what happens at all, right? It, that is a level of abstract reasoning or planning and executive functioning that just cognitively younger children do not have. In fact, they don't have that for quite a while, like much lo- much older than you might expect. So you're right. They don't go in saying, I'm going to get this cereal. What they go in is they say, they see the cereal. They think I'm hungry and that looks amazing. And in that moment, I just, I really, this is what I need. I really feel like I need this. I really, really want this. And this is what will make me feel better. And they lose the ability to see anything else, right? And it's very myopic. It's very right there, that singular need. It doesn't even abstract, right? They might say, fine, then get me something else sugary. That That's not even happening. They just want the cereal. So the, so the thought of manipulation is really much, much bigger and more sophisticated and sort of spreads to other things. When, when you think of your child in these meltdowns, they're in a loop about this one thing because mm-hmm. that's the one thing they're trying. They think if they get, they'll feel better. Right. Again, back to this, they'll self-regulation and they'll feel better. Right. 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 And I think so when we as parents, instead of seeing our child as manipulating us in this moment, I think we, because I also think there's this, this, and this is a very common thing that people actually teach parents to do when their child is having a tantrum is to ignore it mm-hmm. or to not reinforce it because of the belief that if I give into this tantrum, if I give it attention, it will continue. And I'm teaching the child that a tantrum is okay to have. And yeah, I have really, yeah, a flaw in that. Yeah. I mean, I think it's really tricky, right? Because it is true that some of these tantrums or weak moments or weaker moments that children have can be become learned behaviors if we as parents or the environment um, colludes with it, right? Mm-hmm. At the same time, there's that that's not their intention. You know, they're not going again, they're not going in like that. But I do think we have to be very careful about how as parents that we that we handle this. And going back to your point of of teaching and co-regulation in those moments is really critical, right? We want to yeah. be able to say, I see what's going on. You're not a bad kid. You're really hungry and you think this will make you feel better, 
right? And you just say that. You you know, you can just, oh, maybe I pushed you too hard. You're so tired. And here we are at the grocery store. Isn't that a yucky feeling? Right. And, mm-hmm. and you really are. And, and that's not to say, I know, I know, um, you know, it's not aligned with you and I to sort of ignore a child in this moment, but that also mm-hmm. doesn't mean you have to stay in it forever. Right. You can yes. lead with that validation. You can say like, I know you really want it and I'm not going to be able to get that for you. And that feels really yucky, you know, and you can stay in that for a few moments but then you can move on. Right. But we have to get Mm -hmm. through the grocery store. So we're just going to keep going. And that's where the, the, it gets a little tricky for parents are like, but isn't that ignoring? And then like, you know, and we discuss about not really, right. Like we're trying to do, um, distraction or other techniques in those moments, but we've also led with validation and seeing the child for what's really going on. Exactly. It's like you, you can, you don't have to do the validation forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Otherwise you are ignoring. But if you start with distraction or you start with ignoring, you're missing that first really important piece. But once you've done the validation, once your child knows you see them, you are here, you've, you've hooked them at that connection, you Mm -hmm. know, then they're safe enough yeah. To be, they're connected to, and you can then say, let's move through this a bit. You know, I'm going to help you move out of this. Now that is, again, that's tantrum level. We're not going to be able to do that with a meltdown. Sure. And, and also real quick, I want to go back to one other thing you were saying, which is, you know, if we, I agree very much with what you're saying that we can validate and not necessarily stay in it indefinitely with them. And that's different than ignoring, but also what's different than that idea of reinforcing the, you know, the behavior is this idea that we can, we can allow for a feeling without allowing or reinforcing the wish, right? So Mm -hmm. the child wants the sugary cereal. My son wants the pink cup both of those kids are in a state of dysregulation because they aren't getting what they want. I can validate the feeling. You really want that. Ugh, you're so upset that you don't have that. I get it. And I can still not give them the thing that they want. So there's where that learning piece yeah. might come in that we can avoid that trap, right? If every time my son screams, he wants the pink cup and I'm like, oh my God, I cannot handle another tantrum. Um, or, oh my God, my child can't be this upset. And I immediately give him the thing he wants to shut off the tantrum, which is also mm-hmm. coming from a place of intolerance of tantrums. Mm-hmm. Um, then, yeah, we might be setting everybody up for a learned behavior, That's very different than saying, you really want this. I'm validating this experience you're having. I'm naming that feeling that's in your body. I'm giving you space to have it. I'm not giving you the wish because we can't always have the wish. But I'm here. I'm here for you um, in this pain that's real. I, I, I agree completely. And I, and I think I always joke like, we're never, we're never going to be able to do this perfectly. I think it's important to say that, right? Mm-hmm. Like sometimes you're just going to give the pink cup because you want the kid to stop, you know, oh, like yes. that's going to happen. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. But I think the other piece that I think is really important that you touched upon is the other way we reinforce these is by automatically giving the pink cup to your son, right? Before yes. they even ask for it, 
we're trying to ward off a tantrum. We're egg, we're walking mm-hmm. on a little bit of eggshells, right? We're colluding by making these accommodations to avoid something that hasn't even happened yet. Yes. Right? And that is about that. That's extremely very important. important as ways that we as parents reinforce some of these um, intolerance for tantrums, right? And I joke with parents all the time because they're like, my goal seeing you is to reduce my child's tantrums. And, and I'm always saying, my goal is for you to not avoid tantrums. The more tantrums they have, the more learning you get to do. And they're like, ah, but it is true. (laughs) With anything, the more you practice, the better you get at it. Right. As parents. Right. So again, I think it's so important that we talk about it. We think about and break down and look, we all do this. I do this all the time, you know, and, 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 like the accommodations and what are okay accommodations and what are ones that are reinforcing sort of things that we don't want to, to go or intolerances that we want our children to develop better skills for. Yes, I do that too. I mean, one of the biggest things, one of the biggest mindset shifts I often have to kind of work with parents into coming into when we start working together is when they, you know, they come in cause their kid has a lot of tantrums and they want to help. I'm like, okay, the work is not to turn the tantrums off and not even to reduce the tantrums. The work is for you to be able to tolerate them more because we're shifting the way you think about what their function is. Yes, exactly. And and I, I think it's actually really a, a tricky and important and nuanced to talk through also because we do want, and one of the things that I think is important to notice is when your children have patterns or when your children have these meltdowns. And we do yeah. want to set everyone up for success. So it's not that, you know, those are all accommodations, for example, but we do want to, you know, so it's a little bit tricky, right? Cause we're, I'm both saying don't tiptoe and give your child the pink cup to avoid a conflict. But I'm also saying like, look, you know, if you know that your child has a lot of tantrums when they're hungry, let's make sure they have a snack before you go to the grocery store. You know, right. I do think that setting them up in those ways for success are important. Right. And I would distinguish that between giving them what they want to avoid a tantrum versus managing their physiological, you know, balance, homeostasis, the things yes. that are from an internal place setting off what might be a tantrum or may very well be a meltdown for them. If they're hangry, if they're tired, if they had a really long day at school where they really had to hold it together for a teacher all day, maybe there's a kid in their class that's, you know, kind of rubbing them the wrong way. And now they come home and they're letting it out. Like, you know, we talk about restraint collapse sometimes on here a lot. Like um, these are, that's not, walking on eggshells to avoid a tantrum because you always keep a snack in your purse when you pick your kid up from daycare, right? That's managing their nervous system, keeping them as regulated as you can facilitate so that you are setting them up for success should they come across a bump that might push them over that dysregulation edge, giving them more of a buffer. That's very different, I think, like to your point, that it's not the same thing as accommodating over accommodating. It's about yeah. sort of, I, I once wrote this thing on Instagram. I was like, we, we feed our kid all day long to kind of avoid ever hitting that hangry space. Like we give them 
we always say, like, don't wait for your kid to be hangry before you feed them, right? Don't wait for your kid to be dysregulated before you regulate them. Yes. Like you can preemptively regulate your child and regulate their nervous system, give them, make sure that they're physiologically getting some of their needs met to head off that tantrum, to head off that dysregulated state. Yeah, and it's really important that, you know, I always say parents are experts on their kids. And so it's just about being mindful about the things that are tipping for your kids, right? Hunger might not be your thing, but being tired might. Or sometimes parents, you know, they're like, oh, that might have been what's going on because the next morning they had a fever. You know, like Mm -hmm. there's a real, it's really nuanced and it's very child specific. So get to know your child and then, you know, do that work. Like exactly what you're saying. And I, and I think it's like my favorite phrase is we're not trying to teach our children how we are trying to teach our children rather how to cope with tough feelings. We're not trying to teach them how to not have feelings, right? We don't want not to have feelings. (laughs) We're not saying, well, don't, you know, we want to avoid saying, well, don't get upset about that. Or that's ridiculous. We want to teach them how to cope with feeling. Everybody has feelings and everybody has tough feelings. So it doesn't, we want to give them an opportunity to cope with those things, not just to not have them. Like our goal as parents isn't for them to not have affect. Because them having their feelings and us meeting those, even the really big intense ones, with a lot of curiosity, compassion, co-regulation, like our presence, our connectedness, that that models for kids. That's a direct communication. That's an okay feeling to have. And then your child internalizes this, this feeling that mommy just named for me, that's anger. That's a safe feeling. This feeling that mommy just named for me, um, scared. I'm feeling really scared or I'm feeling really frustrated or I'm feeling really irritate it. Like all of these feelings, these must be safe feelings. Mom knows what they are. She must have a, she's got this. Okay. Yeah. You know, they're internalizing that these, this is how kids have healthy emotional development, healthy emotional intelligence, healthy eventual capacity to self-regulate. Yes. I mean, I think that's really important. And, and I think it's important for us to, us to touch upon how is parents, we can do that when it's really hard. You know, I always say it's, it's okay to label your own emotions as parents, not in the service of changing your child's behavior, but in terms of sort of talking out loud, your self-regulation process, mm-hmm. you know, okay. I, and even taking a little bit of a break, right. It's okay to take a little bit of a break, you know, especially yes. if you're narrating why, right? You're giving a little bit of like, this is how I'm, you know, calming myself. This is how I'm doing this. And and I think this goes back to something, you know, I'm sure you hear me say a million times on here, which is strike when the iron is cold. Tantrums and meltdowns are not teaching moments necessarily. Mm -hmm. There might be a little bit of co-regulation more on the tantrum side and, you know, those things, but this is not a good time to teach not how to use bad language or how to speak respectfully or, mm-hmm. you know, wh- why it's, you know, not okay to demand, you know, stuff when you have things, uh, you know, a lot of parents always say to me, but they have everything in the world. And these aren't the teaching moments for those, for those types of things. So I think that's important yeah. to point out too. Yes. There's, there's a time for that. You know, you get to, I always talk about the debrief, right? You can, which could be immediately after your child's kind of reconstituted. It could be later that day. It could be a day later even, but like going back over and saying, Hey, remember that time when we were at the grocery store and things got a little overwhelming or a little stressful and you were really upset about that cereal. Um, let's, can we talk about that for a minute? Like what was going, you know, being curious or if your kid's really, really young, maybe instead of asking them to answer, just 
noticing. Like I noticed you got really upset by that. And I'm wondering if maybe you were feeling really hungry and the idea of that cereal just was like all you could think about. And, you know, next time you really want something or you're really hungry, what could you ask me? Or could you, you know, say, mom, I'm really hungry and I could get you a snack. Um, Or should we maybe have a plan that we should always have a little snack before we go into the grocery store and I'll be in charge of that next time. Like, so it's about problem that the problem solving and, and, and also that could be a time where you could say, you know, we are really lucky that we have so many things. Maybe we could teach a little bit about gratitude or, you know, whatever. That's the time in the debrief. A hundred percent. And I, and I also think like a lot of children look like they don't take in the debrief. So don't worry. Like it's still okay to, to sort of like say, review it and sort of, I call it, you know, that throw the pasta on the wall and see what sticks and say what you think might've happened with your best, you know, imaginary, what might've been happening, what your child might've been thinking or feeling and how they could have handled that differently. But I also think if it doesn't really land, then it's okay. Right. There's another mm-hmm. opportunity, you know, you might, before you go to the grocery store, say next time, say like, oof, we had a tough time in the grocery store. How can we, you know, we're about to go in. Like, what are we going to do? Can we make a deal that we're going to get one snack that you're of your choice, but that's all we're going to get this time. You know, like, I think there's always opportunities to revisit it in these micro ways that can help yes. buttress, you know, that your child's ability to tolerate these situations. Right. But even going to those sort of preventative places requires us to remember that it's really our job. Yes. It's not our kid's job to not have the tantrum. It's our job to kind of think ahead, to anticipate where they're going to have cracks in their regulation, where they're going to have an overwhelming feeling that's going to take them offline. Yep. And not, not even not necessarily, no, we might not be able to avoid it too. Like- Yep. You were saying before, like sometimes you just got to do that late, that late evening grocery run after, you know, and everyone's hungry and cranky and we got to do it because we're out of everything. Yeah. No, I always, I mean, and I I think it's really, really important to say we're saying all of these, you know, best practices, but we don't expect you to do them every time. Right. You know, we, we, I think it's really important that we, we don't do them every time, but we do try to sort of land as many times and be thoughtful and mindful as many times as we can. Or if we find ourselves in those moments, handle them with as much self-regulation on our own parts and co-regulation or even just container tolerance on our side for the fallout of that. Yeah. And before we go, I wanted to just make a quick point about like, okay, we're talking kind of about your typical kid here. But there's not every kid is your typical kid, right? We've got, yeah. we have such a wide range of brain functioning and neurological wiring of, of our kids. You know, not everyone is quote unquote neurotypical. So let's, can we talk a bit about this idea of tantrums and really, I think more in, more appropriately meltdowns in neurodivergent kiddos? Yeah. I mean, I think... You, you'll see this in parents a lot because it feels like your child shouldn't ha- be having these anymore, right? That's when we get a lot of the as psychologists. That's when we get a lot of these referrals. Like my child is having these meltdowns and I, I just feel like they're not age appropriate anymore. Or, And by the way, I just want to throw in really quick. So typically from a developmental standpoint, tantrums tend to come online around one. 
And they tend to be pretty common until around five or six, though it's very common for a seven, eight, nine, 10, 12, even teenager to have them every once in a while. But if your kid is having daily tantrums past seven or eight, this is where I think parents, and I, again, like so many factors go into this. It doesn't automatically mean that they have some diagnosable condition and by any means, but I think to Emily's point, like, I think that's when Emily and I start to get calls. Yeah. And in those, and in the, to precisely, and I think where we assess on that is right. Intensity, duration, and frequency, right? Yes. We really look at how much is this happening? How intense is it? And, you know, is it interfering with their ability to do things they want to do or things they need to do? Um, and, and, and that does warrant a little bit more peeling back, you know, the onion and seeing what's underlying it, because we do know that children with, for example, ADHD have executive functioning deficits, right? So that's exactly the areas of Im- impulse control, frustration, tolerance, distress, tolerance, and self-regulation that impact tantrums and say, you know, like sort of getting through those more efficiently or sort of coming through the other side. Anxiety mm-hmm. can look a lot like this as well, right? Anxiety. Yeah. And this is where we were, I was joking with you about the pink cup and preventing and accommodating. That happens actually a lot with anxiety, kids with yeah. um, anxiety and families where there's anxiety um, in the house. So I think that's really, really important. Um, sensory integration disorder is a thing, but even just sort of like more, a more neurosensitive child, um, might have a harder time in louder environments or, you know, and you, so you might see more dysregulation in that. So I think, again, it goes a little bit back to sort of figuring out what's not typical and sort of escalating maybe sort of your interventions or seeking help for those kids. Um, but then also like in, in the same vein, knowing your child, and trying to help them in ways that are very specific to them. I joke all the time that one of my, my middle child is very, um, he's the hangriest person you ever have met. Right. And, <laughs> and it's literally, I mean, he literally will, you know, be just a total disaster. And if you can possibly get food into him within three minutes, he's like, Oh, hi, how are you? What, what What's going on? Do you look lovely today? How was your day? You know, it is, it's like nothing you've ever seen before. It's sort of like those Snickers, incredible Hulk commercials. So I think, you know, we have to know that sure, you know, he's more physiologically, you know, vulnerable to hunger and maybe to tantrums because of when, when the, that's in place. But if we can sort of sort of prophylactically do address that and, you know, give him enough food or sort of set him up for success, that that always helps. So regardless of the, you know, their underlying, maybe bigger things, if that's a pretty extreme thing for this one child of mine, right? Like it's not mm-hmm. just like you get a little cranky, it's like total meltdown city. So you also want to sort of understand what are the priorities that you have to get in place to help set them up for success. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, I mean, I agree. I think it's, it's, you, you know, we can, you and I, you know, in our practices, we diagnose things all the time, but a lot of the treatments are the same. Yep. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, it's a lot of what you're talking about, just at like a larger, more in-depth scale. And to be fair, I think when you do have some of these underlying dispositions, like, or deficits, you know, in some of these more diagnosable categories, we are asking parents to be more on their game. And it's a lot. 
right? Like we are asking parents to be, you know, you have to think every time before you go to the grocery store, right? Whereas, you know, parents of sort of neurotypical children, you know, their kid might have a tantrum, but like nine out of 10 times they go to the grocery store and it's okay. You know, if you have a more underlying conditions or more weaknesses or predispositions to vulnerabilities, you might have to think about going to that grocery store and be more mindful about it nine out of 10 times. And so Mm -hmm. I do want to say like, we are asking parents with children who have a little bit more vulnerabilities or a little bit less self-regulation capacities for whatever reason to be like on it a lot. Right. Right. It's almost like a parent whose child has diabetes has to be constantly monitoring their blood sugar. And it's a lot of work and it's very stressful. And it's just, it's a lot more involvement in the maintenance of the, of the sort of homeostasis of your child. Yes. It's, kind of the same with ADHD or an anxiety disorder or a learning disability um, or a sensory processing disorder. If your child kind of falls into one of, or an autism spectrum, you know, if your kid is in one of these categories, then as the parent, it's, it's, it, it is hard because you kind of have to be their frontal lobes, their external regulating system, you know, well beyond toddlerhood. You just kind of have, I mean, all toddlers require us to be their external regulation system. And usually kids start to grow out of that around elementary school, late, late elementary school, middle school. For some kids, they don't. And so parents have to be that external regulator for longer and it's work and it's hard and it's exhausting. So, you know, you need to give yourself a tremendous amount of grace. You're not going to be able to get it keep it together all the time. You're going to need more help. You're going to need more support. It's not easy. And I I think like before we end, I want to also say, I, you know, we never want to ridicule or like mock our child. I always, you know, as tempting as it is to be like, oh my gosh, the green cup or the blue cup, you know, I can't, but I do think from a completely independent parent side, you know, it sometimes helps to have humor in all of this, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it sometimes helps to debrief with a friend or, you know, your partner around like, can you believe we spent an hour debating the color of the cup? You know, I just, that was my intervention. That was like half of my afternoon. I tried to get him to not use the purple cup. Like, ah, you know, there's like a very, very cute, um, toddler toast. Have you seen this, Sarah? I don't know if you've heard it. It's so funny. You could probably Google it, but it's all about how a parent tried to prepare toast for their toddler. And the toddler is like, no, I want more butter. And they like put more butter and they're like, no, you need to toast it again. And they like shove it back in the toaster. And they're like, no, we want sprinkles on it. And they like put sprinkles on it. And they're like, no, no, no sprinkles. Sprinkles are bad. You know, like it's, so it's, it's, is important to sort of have a little levity outside of our parenting role, like in our own independent um, coping with these challenges, just to sort of put into perspective for us. Right. Yes. It always is helpful to like, just be able to like give your partner or even just your own little inner self a like a side glance being like, are we really doing this right now? Yep. We're really doing this right now. Okay. We're having a tantrum about bananas. Okay. Here we go. You know, like it's, we're not, and again, to your point, like we're not belittling our child for being upset about a banana, you know, like the second I break a child's banana and have, oh my gosh, I know. Oh Don't my do God. That. But I wanted the whole More thing. Banana. Yeah, obviously. I didn't but want you it. peeled it. Yes. I wanted, it's just like, yeah. 
put it back together. Yeah, that's exactly. The amount of times my kid has asked me to put a banana back together. Yeah. <laughs> I should learn, but no. Yeah. Um, but yes, it, it's some of it's almost so absurd it's comical. I'm not going to laugh at my kid and I'm not going to tell him he's being absurd. But in my inside, I'm like, is this really happening? Yeah. And it's, and I think it's really important, you know, in your own grown up time to sort of like let that gas get out a little, you know, like to give a little relief because as, as we've said, like, it depends on how frequently you have to do this or how much it's happening, but it, sometimes you just need it, you know, sort of to let the air out and, and to have a little bit of like a, woof, this has been, this has been a ride. <laughs> yeah. A doozy. All right. Well, this, this has been a doozy of an episode. I think this is helpful. <laughs> and um, it's so funny because like we went into this being like, what's going to be the difference of a tantrum and a meltdown? And and as you've now listened to us kind of articulate it, they're both different and similar and our approaches are both different and similar. So that's frustrating, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> but also this is the nature of young children's emotional journey. It's, it is frustrating. It is a little mind bending. We are going to be at a loss a lot of the time. And so, you know, if the only takeaway you get from this episode is learn your child, try to validate, try to co-regulate, doesn't really matter if it's a tantrum or a meltdown. Don't try to get into their head and try to figure out why they're doing it as much as you're just kind of saying, ah, you know what? They're out of their control right now. So let me just help them get back into their control. And I do that by helping them feel safe, by helping them feel seen, and not by teaching them to not manipulate me or teaching them to be more grateful or teaching them to be more polite. Um, I, I think that the, that just kind of trips us up and moves us out of compassion for them and for ourselves. Cause then we get frustrated at ourselves for losing it with them. Yeah. I mean, I think my, my, if, if you take one thing out of this, it's, you can describe what's happening without having to change it. And that goes a long way, right? You're having a really hard time or you really want X. And as parents, if we can just, just, if we think of those two things, like keeping myself calm as the parent and just, labeling what's happening for the child without judging it. I think those are our biggest takeaways from tantrums. I love that. All right. We'll talk soon. Do you feel flooded and frazzled and frantic when your child has a tantrum? There is undoubtedly a lot of parenting content out there about tantrums, lots of scripts, lots of rules, and frankly, lots of shame. I have found that most of these methods also fail to take into account the actual brain science of a tantrum, as well as each individual child's experience and their relationship with you, their safe person. And that is exactly why I created my course, The Science of Tantrums. It's a two and a half hour video crash course in all things tantrums, strategically split into six short sections so you can break it up however is most convenient for you. Plus, the course comes with a companion workbook that will help you to adapt these strategies to fit your unique child and apply them to fit into your own life. So go to drsarahbren.com forward slash tantrums and start your journey towards feeling confident that you know exactly how to help your child get back to a place of calm connection without yelling, giving in, or making it worse. 
That's drsarahbren.com forward slash tantrums. Or if you're scrolling through Instagram as you listen to this, just click the link in my bio and sign up to learn more. Thanks for listening. Don't be a stranger. 